Uh, I invite you to open up your Bible this morning if you have it. We are headed to the New Testament book of Colossians and chapter 2 this morning. We have been making our way through this letter of Paul called Colossians in a series that I've entitled Christ Over All. And as we gather this morning, what we've already done and we intend to continue to do is to declare with our voices that Jesus Christ is Lord and God over all, that he is king. And this passage reminds us of that reality, but we know that there are many, many other voices, aren't there? There are many voices in this world. We have to discern what we listen to. I was um, was sharing with a, a young pastor friend uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I was just encouraging him. There goes a quarter rolling all the way across the floor. That's nice. It's still going. I could pretend like it's not, but I'm just going to. All right. Very nice. All right, let's just put the quarter away, sweetie. Anyway. <laughs> um, I was talking with a pastor friend uh, who just got ordained, and I said to him, listen, there will be voices that will say, man, pastor, great job preaching. And then there will be other voices that will, that will condemn you uh, for speaking words of truth. And what I encouraged him was don't listen to either voice all that much. Um, listen to the voice of God. Listen to the word of God. And so that's what we're going to do again here this morning. Paul is writing to the little church called Col- or in the town of Colossae because they have been infiltrated by voices. The voices of their culture and their time were speaking lies, and Paul wanted to remind them of the glorious truth of the gospel, and so that is what we will read here this morning. So Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, and I'll read to verse 10. Hear the, the voice of the Lord. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Amen and amen. Let's pray and ask God's blessing over his word. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are alive. We thank you for your word. Lord, we submit ourselves to it this morning. Lord, would you bring the conviction that your word brings, and would you bring the hope and the life and the forgiveness that only you can bring as well. We are here to listen to you. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Three ways that we put our faith into practice as we listen to the voice of God here from Colossians chapter 2. Number one is this, walk securely with Jesus by faith. This is how Paul explains how we ought to follow Jesus. Walk securely with Jesus by faith in verses six and seven. Paul says, as you received Christ as your savior, continue to walk then with Christ every single day. Now, right off the bat, we understand that receiving Jesus means more than simply acknowledging that he exists somewhere out there. How does anyone, in fact, receive Christ Well, we know that salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith in him alone. And so he's saying, walk in a way that you are daily placing your faith, placing your trust in Jesus and his grace for sinners like me and you. 
and simultaneously walking with Jesus in a way that we are daily submitting and surrendering to him, saying, Jesus, you are Lord. I want to follow you. You're in charge now. You have, as the Bible says here, all authority in my life. But Colossians uh, and Paul here takes a little bit deeper. He says that if you want to understand what real faith is in Jesus, he gives us three descriptive words. He says it's rooted, it's built up, and it's established. And I don't know about you, but I'm immediately aware that, aware that, that Paul is sort of mixing metaphors here. So he's saying the Christian life and following Jesus is both walking with Jesus and at the same time being rooted in the ground like a tree and at the same time, sort of construction and building a new building. And, and that might sound a little odd, a little tension there, but doesn't that reflect the exact realities of the tension of the daily life? That as we walk with Jesus by faith, that we will inevitably struggle and there will be ups and downs due to our sin, due to suffering, and we've got to find something in, in a destabilizing world to be secured and to hold on to. So a faith walk in Jesus here, Paul is saying, is, it's not about you. It's about him. It's what faith is, saying, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you and who you are. And that's incredibly relieving and encouraging and comforting this morning. In fact, all three words to go into the Greek for just a second, the rooted, the built up, and the established, all three are written in the passive voice. That means that God, by his grace, is doing that work in you rather than you having to do that work yourself. God did it in you. You can't and you won't on your own do it yourself. It's a work of his grace, and we respond to his grace by faith. And so the Bible says you're to be rooted. How many of you know what a, a tumbleweed is? Okay, well, if you're thinking, well, it's probably a weed that, that tumbles, you're on the right track. Think about a, a tumbleweed. Um, the reality is, is that a tumbleweed only has one root. It's very tiny, and it dies off very quickly. And as a result, the entire plant dies off very quickly. And it is, for the remainder of its existence on earth, subjected to the wind, and it blows endlessly wherever the wind drives it. But the Scripture gives us a different picture of, of a faith walk with Christ. Old Testament, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Jesus in the New Testament says it this way. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Then Colossians moves to this, this construction idea and is saying that if, if you don't build your life on the foundation of Jesus, then it will fail. How many of us know and love the kid's song? The wise man built his house upon the? The what? The rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Do you know who wrote that song? Jesus wrote that song, and that's right. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fail because it had its foundation on the rock. What did the foolish man do? Anybody remember where did he build his house? On the sand. 
few years ago, our family took a, a vacation out to the, uh, to the Outer Banks, North Carolina, and we got out to the beach the very first day, and we saw a three-story house that, uh, as we were there the first day, we actually watched the house crumble and fall completely into the ocean due to the extensive erosion that was taking place at the time. You know, and you look at a three-story house halfway in the ocean, you're like, I can't really wrap my head around what's happening right now, because the reality is, is this house seems to be, I don't know, in the wrong place. House, ocean, shouldn't be together. It's the same for us, guys. If, if, you're found, if your faith is not in a foundation of Christ, then your faith is in the wrong thing. You're in the wrong place. And to carry the metaphor, it will crumble. So Paul's prayer for us is that we would be rooted, built up, and established in the faith, he says, just as you were taught. And even as we prayed a minute ago, my, my deepest prayer in this life is that my three children and that all of our children would know and would love Jesus for a lifetime. And in a world gone crazy, that they would not walk away from Jesus. And then he ends here by saying, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. What's interesting is thanksgiving here is the only verb that's actually put in the active voice. And so my response to God working in me is to respond with faithful thanksgiving, that God in his grace is rooting, building, establishing, and my only contribution, not earning my salvation, not impressing God, not doing enough good things, my contribution is thankfulness, faithful thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. How do we combat fear and anxiety that inevitably fills our hearts at times? Well, the Bible here would suggest that it begins with thankfulness, not to the universe, not to the trees, thankfulness to the God of the universe. Paul's saying our thankfulness for God's grace today should mirror, in fact, our amazement and our excitement from that very first moment when we first gave our lives to Jesus. See, we never, ever outgrow the simple, beautiful, good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no, oh, I'm past that. I've advanced past the gospel. No, no, we daily come back to the the reality of God's grace to us and we simply grow deeper roots in that gospel and we bear fruit out of that gospel. So Paul says, walk securely with Jesus by faith. But number two, he says this, don't be taken captive by worldly deceit. This is verse eight. Paul says, resist because this danger is real. That we can be taken captive by the lies of this world when we will inevitably become captivated by things that the world will tell us, by the voices that are in fact contrary to the voice of Christ. And so he says, don't become enslaved by old lies, old lies that you've already been set free from. It breaks my heart. Someone who's younger or older who talked like they were a Christian, had the outward marks, acted like a Christian, and then they hear another voice and they get sweet-talked away and they wander away from the truth and inevitably find themselves living out destruction. The world here, the Bible says, speaks empty and hollow deceit. 
Dr. Donald Barnhouse was, a, uh, was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. He tells a story, or he told a story, of when he was a teenager back in the 1920s. And what he would do with a couple of his friends, they would go out to the middle of the city in Philadelphia, and they would just pick a spot, and they would begin pointing up into the sky and just staring up there longingly and wait to see what would happen. And inevitably, what would happen is a small crowd would start to gather, and they would start to look and go, well, what's he looking at? What's he pointing at? And then they would actually start to disagree with one another about what he was, in fact, pointing at and looking at, and they would begin to actually make up things in the sky that weren't really there. And then Dr. Barnhouse would step back and walk away and watch as the crowd just increased. And the debate and the discussion and the things that were suddenly in the sky increased, but the truth was there was nothing there. There's never anything there. It's the same dialogue that takes place when the serpent comes up and begins talking with Eve. And the serpent has more empty statements, doesn't he? He basically suggests to Eve, your life cannot possibly be happy if it's just you and God. God can't do what he's promised to do. I have a better idea for you, Eve. The New Testament, 2 Corinthians 11.4, says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light meaning he sounds just enough like the voice of God and the voice of truth. He looks just interesting enough and the promises sound just attractive enough that people will listen to his lies. But it's not real. The Bible says don't listen to human traditions and the elemental spirits, meaning the, the basic principles or even the, the demonic spiritual powers, the false gospels of this life. David Garland in the NIV commentary says that the elemental spirits are uh, those things that belong to the domain of flesh, sin, and death, where demonic powers still wield their influence. Now, for the Colossians back in the day, it was probably the false religion of Gnosticism that showed up in that exact same era, and it was probably the first sort of quasi-Christian cult that's actually identified in the scriptures, and they are referred to as the Judaizers, The Gnostics in the Colossians day claimed that they had like a wiser, deeper knowledge than Christians. They're like, if you want to know the real spiritual stuff, you got to go deeper with us. It was very arrogant. It was very presumptuous and it promised something that it couldn't deliver. But Christians were going, oh, there must be more beyond Jesus, more beyond the the scripture. Gnostics taught that you had to work your way up through a series of lesser gods called emanations. They said Jesus was one of these lesser gods or emanations, and if you do enough right things, then you can work your way up to that one ultimate real God. The Judaizers had a different spin, and they basically said all of the Old Testament laws, especially those ceremonial laws and those dietary laws, and a few extra laws and rules that they made up, so you've got to fulfill all these things if you want to work your way up to God. It was a heart of legalism. Thankfully, we have no issues like that today. Today, it can be things like uh, what's often referred to as Old Testament Hebrew roots. You better observe the Sabbath on Saturday and don't eat this or don't eat that, and you better celebrate all the Jewish festivals, and it misses Jesus entirely. And you will find yourself following Jesus less and less and walking a path towards death more and more. In other places, the voice will be the voice of health and wealth, prosperity gospel. You name it, you claim it. If you do enough right things, if you sow your faith seed... Send your money to this television preacher, that television preacher, then God's ultimate goal for your life is that you would have a lot of money. And so just chase that, and there is nothing but death there. Then there's a social gospel, or so it's called. 
I remember I was a year out of college and a college buddy said to me, you know, I've been listening to some new people and what they've been telling me is maybe, maybe the Bible, maybe the gospel, maybe God is not so much about saving people from their sins in heaven. Maybe it's really just about doing a lot of nice things and a lot of just things here on earth. That's a dark trail and it leads away from Jesus. We know that there are cults and false religions of various time. We don't have time to, to plumb the depths of Islam and Hinduism and Buddha, Buddhism and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Scientology. But every religion in the world begins with this. What must I do in order to earn the favor of God? What must I do? Christianity is the only religion that begins with the reality of what Jesus Christ has already done. What Jesus has done, he has already accomplished for me what I needed to do in order to satisfy the issue of my sin before a holy and righteous God. It's not what must I do, it's what Jesus has already done, and that distinguishes us from every other belief system on the planet. Uh, As some of you know, I'm learning Spanish, uh, and I have broken Spanish. I was having a conversation with a young guy from Nicaragua two weeks ago. He found out I was a pastor, and he said, oh, are you with the Mormones? Are you a... are you a Mormon? I don't know why he made that connection, but that was his first question. And I said, no, <clears throat> I'm not. He said, oh, are you a, are you a Jehovah's Witness or, or are you a Catholic? And um, to both, I said, no. And, and the, the conversation was sort of going in an interesting direction. I thought, well, hold on. And again, I'm trying to think of the Spanish words that I had, um, verses that I'd memorized in Spanish to be able to explain this. So in my broken Spanish, I was able to say to him, listen, here's what it all boils down to. There's two questions that you've got to ask. Two questions, and the answer to these change everything. The first question is this. Ask it to anybody you want. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The only right answer is he's God. If you want to be real technical, you can even explain that he's fully God and he's fully man, but the answer better be he is God. And the second question is this. How do I get to heaven? And if the answer is anything other than only by the grace of God, through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, then it is a lie. Do not listen to that voice. One more, I think, um, elemental spirit or worldly idea that I see growing more and more, sort of the religion of self. I've come up with my own title for it. We're going to call it selfieism. I think the religion of our day is selfieism. It might, it might sound good on the outside. It has this attractive outer coil to it. Believe in yourself. You can do it. You can do it on your own. You don't need anybody's help, particularly not God's help. Believe whatever you want to believe. If you do enough right things, if you make the right decisions, everything will absolutely always work out. And I got to tell you, that's a lie. Not only can you not do all the right things, but even if you did, it is not necessarily going to work out. Or it can have this sort of spiritual sounding idea, well, as long as my, my good deeds are more than my, my bad deeds, well, then I'll be okay. But here's the truth. I'll tell you for myself, my good deeds absolutely do not outweigh my bad deeds. But even if they did, that is not the standard. The standard is a holy God who has never done anything wrong. At the heart of all these demonic lies and human ideologies is this. The heart of all of them is this idea, Jesus isn't enough. You have to be enough. Jesus isn't true, so you've got to make your own truth. Jesus can't save, so you've got to save yourself. Or Jesus isn't Lord, 
your Lord. Do not be taken captive by those voices. Because third and finally, we have something so much better. The Bible says this in verse 9 and 10. You have been filled by Jesus, who is the fullness of God. And maybe you've never really thought about the gospel in this particular way, but but Paul wants us to understand some realities here. Colossians 2.9 says, In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is yet another place in Scripture telling us Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully man. And this Jesus has authority over all other authorities. Colossians chapter 1, Paul tells this. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. And in the very next verse, Colossians 2.10, he says, you, speaking to believers, have been filled in Jesus. So the, the fullness of God is not something that you can manufacture, It's not something that you can create on your own or earn on your own. It's a gift. And if you are in Christ, you already possess the fullness of Christ within you. Again, it's the passive voice. It's a free gift from God to anyone who will call upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13, the prophet puts it this way. He basically says, every single one of us outside of Christ, we are a broken cup We are an empty, broken, dusty, dry cup. But if you look to God through his son, Jesus, he will fill you up with living water. It's overflowing. But then there's the voices again, isn't there? Remember Matthew chapter four? Jesus is being tempted, and here we have the voice of Satan on display again, and three times he comes to Jesus, and three times he tempts Jesus, and essentially is saying each time, don't trust God the Father. Don't believe what God the Father has told you, but what did Jesus immediately do? He gives us the perfect schematic for ourselves. He quotes the word of God back to Satan. He only listens to the voice of God, who God says I am and who God says he is. That is what I will listen to. And Jesus teaches us that's how we ought to respond. Satan, get away from me. Everything that God the Father has promised, I have because of Jesus. And there is nothing that you or this world can possibly promise that you can actually deliver. So the question for for each of us, Do you want to be filled with the fount of living water? Do you want to be filled by a holy and loving, perfect God? I don't know if you heard, but it's Easter Sunday. It's just it. But if we understand the the scripture rightly, the reality is, is every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, guys. Every day when you wake up, every day is resurrection day because Jesus is alive. He has already won. He has done for us what we could not do ourselves. And Paul wants to drive the reality and the power of Jesus' death and resurrection home to complete this thought. And so two verses later, he says in Colossians 2, verses 12 through 14, listen carefully to this ongoing promise. This is what it means to be filled with Christ, that you have, having been buried with him, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him, Jesus, 
from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are first buried with him. Your sin dies with you and you are now dead to sin. You are separated from sin and sin no longer has control over you. Even as Jesus died, he has paid for your sins so that you don't have to pay that penalty. And then when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are forgiven of the debt of sin that you and I owe. How does he do that? See, Jesus did what we could never do. Jesus came to this earth willingly and lived a perfect life never sinned, and then willingly went to a cross, the cross that you and I should have been hanging on. He suffered willingly when you and I should have suffered, and he died willingly willingly when you and I should have died instead. He died in your place. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. Don't worry. You don't deserve it, but he has offered it freely to you. So come with your nothing and receive his everything. Come with your guilt and receive his forgiveness. Come with your shame and receive a new identity in Jesus because when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you not only die with him on that cross, you rise with him when he rose. In Jesus is new life. You know, only in Christianity do we hear such a a flagrant, wild, flamboyant claim that somebody came back from the dead. But we make that claim because it's true. The disciples were there. The Bible says 500 or more believers saw the risen Jesus walking around alive. And for 40 days, he demonstrated the reality of his resurrection power. And then he ascended to heaven. And one day he will come back bodily to take us home. See, when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you not only die with him on that cross and you not only rise with him eternally, you experience his victory over sin and Satan and evil and death with him. You and I didn't win, he won. But we experience all of the blessings, all of the benefits that Jesus has already won. Christ is over all. Jesus has triumphed over all things, every lie, Every attack, every sin, every sorrow, every tear, every false authority, every claim, every evil spirit, every person who has ever been or ever will be on this planet, every hostility, every doubt, Jesus is Lord over all those things. He has conquered all of that wickedness and he reigns supreme and he invited you to come and experience new life in him. So seeker, you come this morning Maybe you've been in church your entire life. Maybe this is the first time you've darkened the doors of church. And it's a cafeteria. The God of the universe says, I already know the worst things that you've already done. And I still have made a way for you to be forgiven. A way for you to have new life. A way for you to have eternal life. I love you. God himself through his son Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, invites you, come to him, cry out to him, 
Repent and turn from your sin. Make him Lord of your life. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I want to experience this new life. And believer, here Paul encourages all of us, not just the Colossians a couple thousand years ago, but us right now today. Walk with Jesus securely, putting your faith in him each day. Tune out the false voices of this world, and they are many and they are attractive, but they only lead to death. And listen to the voice of truth. And remember that by God's grace, you have been filled with Jesus. You have been given new life. You couldn't earn it. You don't deserve it. He's already done it for you. Live in that freedom. Amen? Let's pray together to a good and loving God. Oh, Lord Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are grateful for the voice of truth. We are grateful that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus, to do for us what we could not and would not ever do ourselves. We're grateful that you have brought salvation, Lord, that you speak a word of grace and a word of truth. Father, we recognize that in so many ways we have wandered, like Adam and Eve at the very beginning, we have wandered away from your voice and we have listened to other voices. And Lord, they were tempting, they seemed attractive at the time, they promised big things, and when we followed them, they led to death. Father, forgive us for the ways that we have rebelled against you. Forgive us for the ways that we have not trusted your promises and have thought, I know better than you. Thank you that you offer forgiveness. Thank you that you are a God of second and third and tenth and twentieth chances. Thank you that you are a God who gives and offers new life. Thank you that we don't gather here to have a funeral. We don't gather here to have a memorial service to remember some cool things that a guy said a long time ago. We gather to worship and declare with our voices and our hearts and our lives that Jesus is alive. You are Lord. You are Christ over all. And so we submit ourselves afresh to you. We say, Lord Jesus, whatever you want, that's what I want. Whatever you say, that's what I will listen to. Wherever you want me to go, that is where I will go. Whoever you want me to share this same good news of hope and life and salvation and freedom, I will share it with them. Lord Jesus, spread your love around this city, around this state, around this nation, and throughout this world. Lord, use us to be a part of that. Father, for those who are hearing the, the voice of truth for the first time, Lord, I pray that you would move in their hearts, that they would be willing to admit, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know what I've done is wrong. I've sinned against you. That they would cry out for forgiveness. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Lord. That they would turn from their sin and turn to you. They would say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Father, thank you that your answer, answer is always yes. And to that we say amen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.